0: So the big question is this, how can runners like you, who aren't professional athletes or paid sponsored runners, avoid injury and increase athletic performance to enjoy running race events for the rest of your life without wasting money on trends or using dangerous painkiller drugs? That is the question. And on hashtag run pain free podcast, your host, sports biomechanics, athletic injury correction and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio gives you the answers. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Run Pain-Free Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio. Today, this podcast is talking to Dr. Jim Taylor, sports psychologist. In the summer of 2020, we hosted the Marathon Training Summit. It was huge, it was amazing. I interviewed over 20 experts in the industry from multiple corners of the industry, and Dr. Jim Taylor was one of them. And so this is the open version of that interview. It is so in-depth, and it gets really involved with running and the psychology of running. He's an athlete himself, so it also comes from that place of expertise, both as a person and as an expert, which, in my opinion, is the best expert. Also, the advanced sessions, once you're done with this, if you really want to dig into it more and go into the advanced session, you'll find that link in the description of this podcast, and I encourage you to do that. You'll find all of the experts there and the entire Marathon Training Summit. Enjoy! Welcome to the Run Pain-Free Marathon Training Summit. I am with Dr. Jim Taylor himself. Thank you so much for joining us from sunny California. How are you doing today?
1: Uh, Great pleasure to be here, Jessica. I'm doing great, thank
0: you. Awesome, I'm gonna give everybody a quick background so they know exactly who you're speaking with. Dr. Jim Taylor has been a consultant to USA Triathlon and has worked with Junior Elite, age group world-class and olympic endurance athletes in triathlon cycling swimming and running a former alpine ski racer who competed internationally jim is a second degree black belt in karate a sub three-hour marathoner an Ironman triathlete and currently a usat nationally ranked olympic and sprint distance triathlete jim is an author of 17 books has published over 800 articles has given more than a thousand workshops throughout North America, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. And he writes a twice monthly column for triathlete.com. His book, The Triathlete's Guide to Mental Training with Terry Schneider, is available on Amazon. And you can find all of his information at drjimtayloroneword.com. Dr. Jim Taylor, we are going to talk today about sports psychology and I want to first go in, can you please explain what sports psychology is to our runners?
1: Well, for anybody who runs, they know that running is as mental as it is physical, especially in terms of training, being motivated, doing the work, and then of course on race day, being able to take that training and put it to use in terms of achieving your goals. So there's a cliche that, um, that uh, sports are 90% mental, um, but the fact is that despite its so-called importance, there's not a lot of work done in it, and so my passion and my purpose and my career is about helping endurance athletes including runners to uh to be as strong mentally as they can be uh, to, to, to complement all their other efforts in terms of time on the track and times on the roads and times on the trail um so w- when, when they're physically prepared to achieve their goals in a race they're also mentally prepared
0: awesome i think it's i think you did speak a lot in the book that i'm referring to trained Train your mind for success, for athletic success. You talk about how there's such a stigma behind psychology and that it's not really something that people usually tend to go to because there's this, you know, negative connotation to it. So sports psychology, I think it puts a real stamp on, hey, you're already running for this anyway, you know, think about it in a different light. And I think you bring a lot to that. So I know our runners are really going to understand it um what did you think that athletics was lacking that encouraged you to go into sports psychology as a
1: career right well there's another cliche that people become psychologists to figure themselves out and as an alpine ski racer um, i was known as a head case or a mind job meaning i had I had some ability but i wasn't able to translate that on race day it was purely mental I i wasn't motivated i lacked confidence i got really nervous couldn't focus and so um so when i got to college i went to middlebury college in vermont I took a psych 101 class, and um, and I just fell in love with. And actually, before that, um, while I was still still ski racing, I um, I took a summer class related to what I do with athletes, and I applied a lot of those those tools and skills and techniques to my ski racing. And the following year, I took this quantum leap in my ranking, in my performances, and in my results. And I went from being a you know a passable national level ski racer to a, a pretty good international level ski racer. And so, so it sort of answered my questions about what it took to be the best athlete I could be. And then when I got to college and I, I found psychology, um, it really wasn't, I didn't choose psychology or sports psychology, it chose me. It just I, it just spoke to me. And, and my, my career over the last decades has been really devoted to helping athletes and other high performers to uh, be mentally prepared to perform their best, Jessica.
0: That's, I think that so many people who have been athletes and that can find that lack that they needed as an athlete and create a career out of that are the best experts. (laughs) I really do. I believe that they really bring so much more to the table because you've been there, you understand it. Um, You're not just like someone who's just a psychologist, if you would, and then comes in. I think you bring more to the table being an athlete and having gone through it yourself and kind of knowing the power of psychology and how it can relate. I think you just, you, you just bring so much more to the table
1: for that well, thank you. and I think part of my credibility and part of my ability to help athletes, regardless of the level of of, of that they're at, is that I, that i'm I've been there and I'm still there because every day I go out and train a couple of times a day and I race and unfortunately triathlon season is not happening right now. Yeah. Um, um, I have the same challenges that everybody else does. and so I, I can I'm my own first guinea pig and and so and I also know the challenges that everybody else faces. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so again, in this book, there, you open up with a debate on how sports psychology is, um, how important it is for athletes to have some psychology in their sports. But why do you think the non-tangibles are so underrepresented in sports beyond just the physical aspect?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think it's interesting that when I speak to, to endurance athletes and runners, I, um, I was asked how important is the mental side of running compared to the physical and technical side. And, and, and they all say, it's as, the vast majority say it's as or more important. But then I ask, well, how many hours a day are you spending on the mental side? And they sort of give me this quizzical look. And, and my question is meant to be rhetorical because they're clearly not going to spend hours <laughs> a day just like they are in their physical training. Right. Or but, um, but, but bottom line, they're basically spending no time. And let me also say, though, that, that clearly, runner, well, almost all runners do some mental stuff meaning they do things to motivate themselves they do things to be positive they do things to manage their pain to focus to reduce um, pre-competitive anxiety but there's a difference between mental stuff and mental training Mm. and and what's really important to understand as well is that a reason why runners often don't do any sort of sports psychology or mental training is that it's not tangible right the great thing about running is there's, there's so many clear metrics like time if you're going to the gym strength training how much weight you lift how many how many reps you can do but with the mental side, you can't see confidence. I can't measure directly motivation or focus. So that, so it's, it's a little hard for, for runners to wrap their arms around and really go, okay, yeah, I know it's important, but what the heck do I do? Right. And, and a lot of my work is about making it tangible. That's one thing. And also turning mental stuff into mental training. Because mm. typically, people come to me when they have a problem. But that's like going to um, a, a physical therapist or athletic trainer after you're injured. Right. Instead, what you what you do physically is you train properly, so you reduce injury. Right. And, and that's the way I like to approach mental training, Jessica, is that you want to approach it the same way as conditioning and in, 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 in the physical aspects of training with running, in that it has to be comprehensive, it has to be structured, it has to be consistent. That's what a running program, a really good running program does, has, and that's what makes it most effective. So right. so I want to really get people to think about the fact that, I, that you want to make mental training tangible the psychological factors tangible but also to put it in an organized program just like your running program
0: it's very true i've interviewed a whole bunch of people thankfully i'm so excited when this comes out and you'll be able to see all of them but i spoke with one person um nita sweeney who talks about bipolar disorder and that's how she started running actually um, and she, she's, she's an author, she's a writer, and she, she wrote about that experience and she talks about it being non-tangible and that it's not something that she could ever put her finger on. And so she didn't wasn't guided in how to actually get that help to, to work with it. Um, so I think that's exactly why you're so essential to this, because so many runners start for mental reasons. They're running their crazy out, as they say. Um, you know, or, or it's just their therapy. It's their alone time, and I, 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 think you actually you you bridge that gap of why they're doing it and what they really want to get from it because there could yeah. be a loss of guidance there.
1: Well, essentially, Jessica, is with with runners, they're either running from something or towards something. Yeah. In in an ideal world, a lot of my work is around helping runners run towards something, run toward goals that 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 help them thrive and grow rather than running from something, whether it's fears or doubts or or pathologies or what whatever it is.
0: Totally. Um, that kind of segues me into the next question. You coined the term "prime performance." Can you explain to our runners what that, what your idea was for that, to really bring something different to the table for our sports psychology?
1: Sure, Jessica. So, peak performance is a phrase that we hear all the time in the sports world, in the running world. It's now part of our achievement vocabulary. You hear it in the business world. You hear it in. in in um, the educational world. And when I came out of graduate school, that's what I thought I wanted my athletes to achieve, peak performance. I mean, it sounds great, right? Who wouldn't want to perform at their peak? Right. But as I came, became more experienced as a psychologist and as a writer, I came to appreciate the power of words. But it's really important that the words we use are highly descriptive of what we're trying to communicate. And I decided that peak performance wasn't highly descriptive. So let me explain why. So here we have a peak. What's wrong with a peak? Well, first of all, there's just one little point. And so maybe it means one great race, or one great training day and a bunch of lousy ones. Also, when you get up there, there's only one way to go, and that's down. And the drop is precipitous. And nobody likes to have a day when the when the wheels fall off. That's for sure on a training run or on a race day. And I can assure you, I've experienced plenty of those. Yeah. <laughs> Another problem is that you can you, you all often hear runners talking about, oh, I peaked a week early or I peaked a week late. Mm. So peak performance, I don't think, is a very accurate description of what runners want to achieve. So, um, so when I had this epiphany, um, I struggled for a couple of years trying to come up with a phrase that I thought was descriptive. And then one day I was in the, in the supermarket and I was walking through the meat section and I saw on the schlabo beef, the steak, a sticker <laughs> that said prime cut. And I had one of these aha light bulb experiences. And I went back to my office, looked up the word prime, and it was defined as of the highest quality or value, of the highest quality or value. So it just this just spoke to me. Right. And so I came up with prime performance, or in our case, prime running. And I define prime performance as performing consistently well on the most challenging conditions. Or in the case of running, running consistently fast on the most challenging conditions. And there are a couple of important words and phrases in that definition, Jessica. The first is consistently fast. What makes the great runners great is not that they can just go out there every once in a while and run fast. It's they're able to do it day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. So consistency is is one of the hallmarks, hallmark issues that I address with the athletes and the runners I work with. Um, The second important term is challenging. Now everybody can go out and run well when it's a flat course on a good surface and it's 50 degrees out and sunny and you're loving life. Anybody can do that. Yet, how often do we race under those conditions? Well, there's this thing called rain and snow and cold and heat and headwinds that often do everything they can to mess us up. And this is where the mental, mental part comes in. If you perceive those conditions as a threat, as, oh my gosh, I can't do it, I'm not ready, this is awful, then it's not gonna be a good race. But if you can go into the race under those conditions and say, I train under these conditions, I can do this, i might have to make some adjustments, bring it on. Very right. different experience. So for me, the goal should not be peak performance, it should be prime performance running consistently fast under the most challenging conditions.
0: So agreed. And I, I really believe in the power of words myself. I always, I tell my runners, use your words. The word pain can mean very different things. Is it pain or is it sore? Or is it nagging? Like there's words we can use to describe it. And again, it lends to the same thing. And, and I, I would agree. The consistency is everything when it comes to, especially endurance sports. But it, I think it's so even more, I think, peak performance is more anaerobic, if you will. I think the aerobic aspect of it, the consistency the longevity of it really lends to that concept. Um, Here's a big one for you, and this is something I deal with all the time. Um, I have had many runners who actually identify in their injuries, almost to a point where they refuse to even admit progression. It's almost a fear. Um, They actually get attention by being injured. Um, What would you say to someone, you know, out of being an expert in sports psychology, what can you lend us some insight to that? Because I know a lot of them wouldn't even admit this, but I've seen it too many times and I can kind of sniff it out. And I would love for someone watching this to hear this within themselves and just to be hear from you, what that, what they can really do to work on that
1: yeah it's it's a great insight um jessica and and i find it not uncommon in in many aspects of sport and when athletes start to gain benefit from an, from an injury when they use it for attention more than more often than not they use it as an excuse mm-hmm. and i see injuries very often is coming out of uncon- the un- an unconscious drive or need to protect themselves from failure so one thing i find that's rampant in the running world are run a lot of runners are running away from failure and one way to avoid failure is to is to not have to run or to have an excuse that protects them from having to admit that maybe i'm not going to achieve my goals or maybe i'm not that fast mm. and so it's, it's called self-sabotage or self-defeating behavior where where you, you some i've actually seen athletes actually cause themselves to get injured now they don't choose they don't consciously decide oh i'm going right. to get injured right but they're so afraid of failure that they that that what they do leads to an injury so overtraining is often a good sign of fear of failure because overtraining does two things it, first it gives them this, an excuse when they don't perform well right also it, it so that protects their self-esteem like oh I, I people will still view me as being fast plus overtraining makes you look heroic like oh man I'm injured but I mean I was training so hard and people think gosh this is a really tough person but it causes injury where then they have an excuse to protect them from having to that fear that I might fail. And one of the biggest challenges in my work with respect to fear of failure is getting pe- people to or- reorient their, 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 their gaze, if you will, on what they're looking at. So failure's over there and success, success is over there. So many people who get injured and identify with that injury and use that injury to avoid failure, they're looking here, as long as they can stay away from failure, they're going to be okay. The problem is they know they can get there, but for some reason they keep getting in their own way. They keep getting injured. They keep getting burned out. They keep overtraining. So that's because they're they're worried about failure instead of what do I need to do to succeed? And then you know what? There's different levels of success because let's be realistic. We don't always achieve our goals in running for a variety of reasons, but but, but that misses the point of running in my view. And that's the process. That's the journey. That's the joy of the experience. And, and yes, there's great satisfaction in fulfilling your goals, but ultimately it's crossing the line and covering the distance that ultimately matters. And I can assure you, I've had experiences in the marathon and Ironman and, um, calendar national marathon here in Northern California, where again, the wheels fell off and I was just proud to have finished. Right. And was that, was I disappointed of, that I didn't achieve my goals that day? Absolutely. Right. But, but. I, I did everything I could given the given the circumstances.
0: What have you implemented yourselves? I mean, just to piggyback off of that, to not get it, caught up in that in that loop, that um, you know, black hole of a loop, if you will, of getting down on yourself and self loathing, and then be letting it become more a bigger part of you than it should be. What have you done?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I, I think first of all, it's, it's looking at your self identity and what is it composed of, and for many runners. Running composes mo- the biggest piece of that self identity pie and it's important to create balance in your life and, and have other things and the thing that actually helped me make the transition from running to get away from something to running towards something was getting married and having kids
0: mm, because
1: all of a sudden there were a lot more important things in the world than me and, right. and, and my running. And and you know you can do it in many ways. You can you can get into counseling or therapy and work through some of those issues. Um, a lot of it just comes with with maturation and, and growth and and self insight and letting go of, of the junk that we often collect as we grow up. Um, so you know that's a that's potentially a whole other whole other conversation because yeah. it, it gets into the complexities of why people run. And um, at the same time though, um, I can assure you that when you get out of that dark place and run toward the light, um, it's a much more enjoyable experience and it's so much more fulfilling and rewarding.
0: I know you just enjoyed that interview with Dr. Jim Taylor, and I'm sure you want to hear more about it. So go dive deeper into the advanced session. Click on the link in the description right now, where you'll not only hear the rest of his and his advanced session, but you'll get access to all the 20 other experts that shared their years of running experience with us in the Marathon Training Summit. Go on right now and enjoy.
1: You're listening to the Run Pain Free Podcast, brought to you by the Run Pain Free Academy. Featuring biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose-Lecchio. Subscribe to us as you leave a positive review on iTunes.